0: The last will and testament of Bartholomew Weatherspoon of Merydown Wessex. I hereby revoke all former wills and testamentary dispositions previously made by me. I appoint my spouse, Esmeralda Weatherspoon, to be the executor of this my will, but if my said spouse predeceased me, renounces probate probate, or is otherwise unable or willing to prove, or dies without having proved this my will, or if the foregoing appointment shall fail for any other reason. Then I appoint my children, Huey, Dewey, and Louis, to be the executors and trustees hereof in place of my said spouse. I express the wish that my body shall be cremated. I give to my said spouse Esmeralda, if she survives me, but if she predecease me, then to such of them my said children, Huey, Dewey, and Louis, as shall survive me, and if more than one, in equal share all my personal chattels as defined by section fifty five twelve x of the administration of estates act nineteen twenty five not otherwise effectually disposed of by this my will or any codicil hereto absolutely and free of inheritance tax but this is my wish, without creating any trust-binding obligation, that my said spouse Esmeralda or my said children, Huey, Dewey and Louis, as the case may be, should dispose of such personal chattels in accordance with any written memorandum or memoranda left with this will or with my personal papers, etc., etc. And then... I give all of my estate whatsoever and wheresoever not otherwise effectually disposed of by this will or any codicil hereto, and all the property over which I have at my death, and any general power of appointment or disposition to my said spouse Esmeralda, absolutely. On provision, she climbs a mountain each year, fasts on the third Wednesday of a month containing the letter B, wears a yellow hat on the first day of spring, and never remarries or leaves the country of her birth. But if my said spouse does not survive me, or if the gift in favour of my said spouse should lapse for any other reason, then to my trustees shall my estate pass.
1: Inheritance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked out in him with a seal as the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory.
2: Good morning. I hope that that illustration tells you a little bit about worldly inheritance, versus. Our inheritance before God, the first one very tied up in legalism, legalistic, if you do this i 'll give you that if you don 't make it, you won 't get anything, versus our inheritance before God, which is freely given, no, at a great cost to our Savior, but freely given and freely received. Okay, you so have slide one, please. so what i 'm speaking about this morning is the riches of our glorious inheritance through the remarkable grace of a wonderful saviour. It so struck me last week when we were taking communion here, uh, it just, sometimes I don't know about you, but sometimes when God reveals something about his life to you, something from the scriptures, that I was just again caught up in the um, remarkable sacrifice of what Jesus did that we should sit here this morning and be able to worship him in spirit and truth. It's remarkable what he did on the cross. And I want to look at, the glorious inheritance that we have received as a result of his death on the cross. And I'm just going to move this across because I'm not really very central. Okay, Ephesians 1, 17 to 21 it says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. And just those verses about the power and everything. I I mean, I could preach on that for ages, I think. But actually, what we're looking at is his glorious inheritance. And what, what Paul's encouraging the church in Ephesus to do here is to open the eyes of our heart sometimes we we look at scripture and we we struggle in our mind sometimes to make it work and to and to to fit the pattern we think we have for it but it's all about a revelation of our heart sometimes isn't it and I hope um, that today I can get across something that God's done in my life about this wonderful inheritance that we have so Katie I have slide two please so first of all let's look at what sometimes prevents us when we read out the first one um, basically it was about legalism so Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. And a legalist is anyone who behaves as if they can earn God's approval and forgiveness through personal performance. It's about works, isn't it? Legalism claims that the death of Jesus on the cross was either insufficient or maybe even unnecessary. It essentially says to God, your plan didn't work and I need to add my own good works to be saved. Legalism is a bit like a prison warder, ensuring we cannot get out of jail to take up our rightful position before God. While you're just listening for a second, I wonder if you can turn to Romans 3, and we're going to look at verses 9 to 23 in a second. And in Romans, what we find here is, uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, lays out the scene in the courtroom for us in which a trial is taking place. It's basically the state of man and God's response to that. So if you can imagine over here, a courtroom, and sometimes when you see you know, the old courtroom, we've got the wooden surrounding here, and we've got the jury and the judge, etc., sitting here. And so we've got a courtroom, a man is in the dock, basically. And Paul has argued in Romans here about the guilt of every man and woman whether Jew or Gentile, as they're seen in the eyes of a holy and a righteous God. All the elements of the court trial are are present, and in verse 9 we find the charge. So let's just read that through. Uh, What should we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God's. All have turned away and have together come become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery marks their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that wherever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So these verses tell us we are all under sin, both Jew and Gentile. To say we're all under sin includes all that goes with us. Sin sometimes is a bit like an octopus with tentacles. We've got guilt and condemnation tied up in that, which holds us back from walking into this glory inheritance. Then in verse 10 to 18, we see the indictments against man. He is a totally depraved person. Our character is hopeless. None are righteous, not even one. Our speech is corrupt. Our conduct is ungodly. Sure, there are different degrees to our depravity, but we are all guilty of sin. And in this letter to the Romans, Paul has masterfully demonstrated that there is not one single person who could stand before God as righteous and holy. After bringing these indictments against man, verse 19 indicates that man's defense, every mouth will be silenced. Think about the day of judgment for a moment. There is coming a day when all mankind will stand before God alone. Many think they can argue their case before the Lord or will put God on trial for what he did or allowed to happen in their lives. And for those, I would agree with the statement that I found somewhere that says that a a lawyer who would represent himself before the Lord has a fool for a client. You see that when we stand before the Lord, the evidence will be so overwhelmingly obvious to us that every mouth will be silenced. There is no defense against God because we have no defense Verse 19 also gives the verdict against every man, including us, in that the whole world is held accountable before God. Why will every mouth be silenced? Because we are all guilty. But God knew that all along, didn't he? He had a fantastic escape plan to offer his people Jesus' death and his resurrection. So let's look at the first part of our wonderful inheritance through his grace. Grace often summed up as God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm sure you've heard that one before. And in Ephesians 2, it says this. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that, in the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from ourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no man can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been justified. We have been raised up with Christ. And we cannot understand this act of justification in isolation from the facts about man's sin and guilt before God's. Because we are guilty, sentence has been passed upon us, for the wages of sin is death. However, in justification, God, who sits on the throne as judge in this trial, legally declares that we are not guilty. In fact, he declares us to be righteous. And there's a wonderful illustration in Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 6 about um, Joshua. It says here, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebukes you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. It is is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. And that's the wonderful comparison, is it not? Once we were lost in sin and unable to see God because of the sin around us. And then in a miraculous moment, when we first said, Jesus, come into my life, that is all dealt with. That filthy garment is taken away and we find ourselves dressed in these rich garments as Joshua was. When you put your faith in Jesus, God the judge hands down the verdict that you are righteous. He transfers the perfect, sinless record of Jesus to you. This is amazing grace at its most amazing. In the moment you first believed, your past sin didn't cease to exist. You hadn't done any good work that could somehow make up your disobedience. Yet God completely and totally forgave you. Can that be right would God do that? Have I not got to work at this, Lord? Is it, if I got to do something? Have I got to do some works to gain this? No, no, no. This is the free gift given to you on the minutes that you said yes to Jesus. He not only wiped away the, the record of your sin, he credited the righteousness of his son to you. I hope it's beginning to sink into your hearts, this one. In an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, it was done the minute we said yes to Jesus. So to conclude the trial that we have here, the charges have been laid against us. We are sinners and we deserve death. We are given the chance to defend ourselves, but there's nothing to say. We know we are guilty. And Satan grows excited knowing that we are guilty. But before the judge passes sentence, an advocate or someone that stands on behalf of another comes forward and tells the judge that he has enough righteousness to take care of your crime. That is what Jesus did for you and I on the cross there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Romans 8 1 Katie slide 3 please so let's look at this part of this inheritance justification and sanctification justification is being declared righteous it's a declaration upon us as a Christian we've been declared righteous and it is justified never sinned that's what justification is all about it's justified never sinned in my life that's what God has now deposited in our lives. And sanctification is being made righteous, being conformed to the image of Christ. It's an ongoing thing, but it's being made righteous. So justification, at the minute we say yes, is just it's like a deposit upon us, justified, never sinned. And the next one, please, Katie. Justification is now, if you're a Christian, our position before God. Sanctification is our practice before God. We're working it out. It's ongoing through the years. Thanks, Katie. You don't practice justification. It happens once and for all upon conversion. So we don't have to work at it. God's deposited these wonderful inheritance in our lives. Justification is immediate and complete upon conversion. You can never... You can and never will be more justified than you are the first moment you trust in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. It is finished. And sanctification is a process. You will be more sanctified as you continue in grace-motivated obedience. Sanctification is an ongoing process, but justification happens there once and for all. So justification is the finished work and sanctification is the ongoing work. The power of the gospel doesn't end when we're justified. Our inheritance goes on. There's an immediate, the immediate deposit, if you like, when we say yes to Jesus. But also it's an ongoing thing as well. In John 14 too, um, Jesus is telling the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, my mansion, which has many rooms. It's all about our inheritance when we die as well, that we're going to be with Jesus for eternity again wonderful part of our inheritance so something immediately now when I say yes to Jesus ongoing justification sorry justifications there sanctification ongoing I'm going to get more like Jesus because actually for me for Jesus to be for me to become more like Jesus he's going to have to chip away at those things that don't honor him so sometimes he's like the potter and the clay isn't he where the clay he's the potter and sometimes there's things in our lives that don't honor him and he's dealing with those things as we go through our Christian walk but when God declares a sinner righteous, he immediately begins the process of making that sinner, sinner more like his son. Through the work of his spirit and through the power of his word and fellowship with other believers, God peels away our desires for sin, renews our minds and changes our lives. This is the ongoing work of sanctification. It's a process of becoming more like Christ. It begins the instant you are converted and will not end until you meet Jesus face to face sanctification is about our own choices and behaviors it involves work empowered by the holy spirit we fight sin we study scripture we pray even when we don't feel like it we flee temptation we press on running hard in pursuit of holiness and as we become more and more sanctified the power of the gospel conforms us more and more closely with ever increasing clarity to the image of Jesus Christ so when God looks at us he sees Jesus I find that amazing But when God looks at you and I, he sees his son Jesus in us. Remember, in closing, that you cannot be condemned and justified at the same time. If the judge declares you not guilty, there is no condemnation this morning. And the promise plainly declares that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus here today. God has spoken. Your total acceptance in Christ is beyond doubt. And the riches of your inheritance have now been made available to you. And 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 5 says, unlike the inheritance we read out earlier, the earthly one that uh, made people jump through hoops and do this and that to get the inheritance. 1 Peter 1:3-5 says, unlike any earthly inheritance, this one cannot perish, spoil or fade. It's there for eternity. It's for us today, available for us. So which one, I wonder, are you living in? Is it the earthly one where you're working legalistically through by doing good works to try and uh, get get more accepted by God or do you just accept what God has put in his word for us? But it's all about this bit in here that Paul encourages the church. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be lightened and all in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you and the riches his glorious inheritance in the saints. So I'm just going to pray for us today. I'm going to pray for the church. Um, I'm going to pray that God will reveal and open up the eyes of our hearts this morning that we might know this wonderful inheritance we have and maybe um, you've struggled over weeks and months maybe to understand that you don't have to work at something and it's freely given and the minute you say yes to Jesus this deposits this inheritance Is like lowered from heaven right above you right now. So, Father, as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, Lord God, I pray for us, Lord God. I pray for myself and these dear folks here this morning. Father, would you open the eyes of our hearts, Lord God, if we're a person of intellect that's trying to work out everything in your gospel, Lord God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you fall upon us now and just open up our understanding to these wonderful wonderful messages in your gospel lord god your wonderful justification lord god father we deserve nothing from you we deserved your wrath lord god and your anger Uh, but lord god we find ourselves recipients of this most wonderful grace in our lives you have done it all lord god you've left nothing to chance you had this most wonderful plan that you wanted to deliver for everybody that said yes to your wonderful name everybody that put your trust in you and And repented of their sin, Lord God, you have this most wonderful plan that starts for that one second in the twinkling of an eye. Lord God, it starts there, but it continues through our lives. It gets better, Lord God, while we're sanctified and becoming more like you. And then when we rise to meet you, Lord God, again, we have this fantastic inheritance of being with you for eternity, Lord God. Singing your praises at your footstool, as it were, Lord. Father, we are recipients of the most fantastic grace, Lord. We thank you this morning that you've done it all. Father, thank you for, the, for sending your son to die in our place, Lord God. And Father, everything that that now means to us, Lord, I pray that as a church we'll just grasp the magnitude of what we've got here, Lord God. I pray as a revelation to us, Lord God, that it will, Father, almost kick into touch the things that might drag us back and pull us down, Lord God. That's That prison mortar, as it were, that keeps us in jail because of the legalistic ways, Father. Lord, I pray, come right now by your Spirit. Father, change lives here this morning, Lord. Lord God, help us to see more clearly. Father, help us to praise and to thank you for what you've done, Lord. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.